Lord, we love you, we bless you, we praise your holy name. And in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, I ask you to come. Your word says that the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. Lord, I pray that as I testify of who Jesus is today, that you would prophesy into every heart exactly what each one of us needs to hear and to know, that you would reveal Jesus Christ to our hearts and our minds. In his name we pray, amen. We're going to start in 1 Thessalonians 3. Paul is writing to us, but it's God speaking, and he says, Concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. And when they say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us, be wa- let us watch and be sober. Paul uses this phrase, the day of the Lord, that is in the Old Testament continually. Almost every prophet in the Old Testament spoke of the day of the Lord. And it was a day of reckoning and a day of judgment, a day of God setting everything right. In the New Testament, Paul tells us that this is the day of Jesus' return. The day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. Jesus said it, Paul said it, Peter said it, that everybody is going to be surprised. Because a thief in the night doesn't come when you expect it. You just have to be ready all the time. Hello? I mean, we got so much burglary around here, it's absolutely crazy the amount of burglary that goes on in our county. And you just have to lock your door and lock your garage and lock your cars every night because you don't know when the thief is going to come. And that's Jesus' point. You will not know when I return. And it's going to come when the people of the world think they're, they have peace and safety. But destruction is going to come suddenly, boom. Just like labor pains come on a woman, they just start all of a sudden, out of nowhere. And Jesus said, my coming will be the same way. But I just want to point out for the moment that Paul keeps using the phrase from the Old Testament, this day, the day of the Lord, and so on. And then Peter uses the same phrase in 2 Peter 3. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. When the heavens will pass away with great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Peter uses this phrase, the day of the Lord, also. And it's referring to Jesus returning to establish his kingdom for eternity on the earth. And he says it's going to happen like a thief in the night. When people are not expecting it, Jesus is going to come. But he says, Paul says, you aren't asleep. You know this is going to happen, so stay awake. Pay attention. And Peter says, we are to look for it. And that doesn't mean search for it. It means looking forward to it, desiring it. Hello? Remember that as I go forward with this. That this is something we are to desire. This is something we're to look forward to and to hasten it. To hasten something means to hurry it up. That our faith can actually, our obedience can actually speed up the return of the Lord. The day of the Lord. In Acts 17, it says that God has fixed the day on the calendar. It's on the calendar, folks. It's coming. Jesus said that not even he knows when that is, only the Father. 
We don't know when it is, but I can guarantee you we're closer today than we were yesterday. That's all I can tell you for sure is that we're getting closer every day, but it is on the calendar. God has fixed the day when he will judge the world by the man he has appointed. Acts 17. Whether you like it or not, whether you want it or not, whether you're excited or dreading it, that day is coming. It cannot be stopped. We're to be looking forward to it because we've gotten our hearts right with Jesus and there's nothing to be scared of. Hello? I hope that's you this morning. But the day of the Lord is this phrase that continues in the New Testament, but let's go back to the Old Testament and see what the Old Testament prophets 3,000 years ago, what God showed them about the day of the Lord. From Isaiah chapter 13, wail for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will be limp, and every man's heart will melt, and they will be afraid. Pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another, and their faces will be like flames. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity, and I will halt the arrogance of the proud, and I will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible, and I will make a mortal more rare than fine gold. This is the day God says we're supposed to look forward to. He says it's, it's going to be a big deal. Things will be really, really bad. I will make a live person more rare than gold. Why is he doing it? To establish justice and remove the sinners from the earth. Jeremiah 46.10, this is the day of the Lord God of hosts, the day of vengeance, that he may avenge himself on his adversaries. The sword shall devour and it shall be made drunk with their blood. From Isaiah chapter 2, they will go into the holes in the rocks and into the caves of the earth from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth mightily. Cosmic events are going to happen. The Bible says the stars and the moon and the sun will not be shining. The earth will shake as it has never shaken before. And here God says, I will make my sword drunk with blood. Joel chapter 2 verse 1, blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. For it is at hand. Moving to verse 10 and 11. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble and the sun and the moon grow dark and the stars diminish their brightness. The Lord gives voice before his army. For his camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? Isaiah chapter 3. God has particular promises for the women who are opposed to him. Moreover, the Lord says, because the women are arrogant and they walk with outstretched necks and flirty eyes and they shake their hips as they walk, making a jingling with their feet, therefore the Lord will strike their heads with a scabby disease and the Lord will uncover their secret parts. In that day, the Lord will take away their fashion, their ankle bracelets and scarves and necklaces and pendants and bracelets and headdresses and headbands, their perfume and charms and rings and nose rings, their fashionable clothing and purses and mirrors. Not much has changed in 3,000 years. And so it shall be, instead of a sweet smell, there will be a stench. Instead of a sash, a rope. Instead of well-done hair, baldness. Instead of a fine dress, sackcloth. 
and a branded face instead of beauty. In Amos, God calls the women cows. He says, listen here, you cows who are only interested in spending your money on your own luxury and your own wine. I will put a hook in your nose and I will put a hook in your children and I will lead you off to be slaves. And he did that to Israel in Assyria. But spiritually, it means hell. Lamentations 4, Jeremiah describes it being so bad, he says the most compassionate mother will cook and eat her children. Zephaniah 1, the great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Aren't you so glad you got out of bed to come to early service this morning? A day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. I will bring distress upon men and they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like the dust and their flesh like sewage. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. The preppers have got to understand that. You cannot buy enough stuff to survive the wrath of God. You must turn to Jesus. He is the only salvation from this event. But the whole land will be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, and he will make speedy riddance of all those who dwell in the land. Zephaniah 2, verse 3, begins to give us a little bit of hope. Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Thank you, God. There is a way out of participating in that day, at least on the receiving end. It may be that you may be hidden in the days of the Lord's anger if you will humble yourself and seek justice, righteousness, and humility. Back to Joel chapter 2, he also tells us that there is a way of salvation. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it will come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. Do you remember that this is the passage that Peter quotes on the day of Pentecost? And Peter quoting this verse about the second coming of Jesus and the destruction of the earth. Peter says, the day of Pentecost, this is the beginning of that day. Pentecost and the day of judgment are the same day. The reason God poured his spirit out on us at Pentecost is the same God and the same reason and the same day as the day of the Lord. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For in Mount Zion, spiritually that's the church, there is deliverance. So that's the Old Testament prophets. It's a pretty dreary picture. It's pretty dismal and pretty terrifying actually. 
of what God plans to do to the people who rebel against him. But there is a way out. We call on the name of Jesus. And in the New Testament, Jesus gives us some very clear specifics about what this day is going to look like. It's the day of the Lord. In the New Testament, we begin to see that it's not just a day. It's actually a seven-year period, the, the very last seven years before Jesus returns. Um, generally gets called the tribulation, although that's not a Bible name for it. Um, the word is used. But there's very serious debate about whether we get delivered from the last seven years or the last three and a half years or just the last day. Um, I'm not here to talk about that. If you've been around, you know that I don't believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. I think we're here for it all. I think more of us will be martyred than raptured. Um, we will meet Jesus in the sky, but on the day is, is what I think. Um, those who believe in a rapture that's going to happen seven years early, I see those scriptures and I don't debate them. It's just not what I'm here to talk about this morning. But Jesus told us that in those last seven years, there will be a man that the Bible calls the beast. He generally gets called the Antichrist, but Revelation calls him the beast. He's the opposite of Jesus in every way. I personally believe he will be the literal son of Satan, um, and he somehow gains governmental control over the whole world and makes everybody worship him. There's even, he dies and is resurrected, and he's just the opposite and the counterfeit of Jesus in every way. And he has a false prophet who does miracles and signs and wonders, who lead the people to worship him. And then in Revelation 16, as we near Jesus' coming at the end of this seven-year period when this one particular man governs the world, in Revelation 16, it says there are three demon spirits that come out of the mouth of the dragon and the beast and the false prophet. And these demon spirits that look like frogs, it says they go out into the whole world performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. There we are again at the day of the Lord. You see it? The day of God Almighty. There's this demonic deception that as the return of Jesus approaches, the response of the governments of the world and the people who follow them, they actually mount a military opposition to try to stop Jesus with tanks and fighter jets. It was just absurd. It's laughable. that They're going to think that with Navy destroyers and missiles, they're going to stop Jesus from coming and taking away the Antichrist's kingdom. And so these demons go out and they gather the kings of the earth and the whole world, it says, to do battle in the great day of Almighty. And then Jesus interjects himself into the story and he says, Behold, I am coming as a thief. There it is again. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gathered, that's the demons, they gathered them, that's the armies, the kings of the world and the armies of every nation in the world. They gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. Armageddon is a valley outside of Jerusalem. Um, in the country of what is today Israel, there will be a real battle. Revelation 17, 14 says, These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for He is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with Him are called, chosen, and faithful. The armies of the world, the rulers of the world, can you not see that they're on the way to becoming that idiotic and corrupt already? 
I mean, it's just so much easier to see even than it was a few decades ago. How evil the leaders of the world are. The government and the media. They will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him, I want to point that out, we'll come back to that later. Those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Revelation 19, 11 to 21. I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. Those are two of Jesus' names. Faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. And his eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. And he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that it, with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. Here's Jesus on a white horse, and the armies of heaven are with him. Um, and he has a sword, it says, goes out of his mouth. That doesn't mean he's biting on the handle of a sword, like gets drawn on internet pictures and Sunday school flannel graphs. The sword, it said the sword goes out of his mouth. It's his word, the sword of the Spirit. Hello? The word of God is the sword of the Spirit. It goes out of his mouth. And he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Jesus himself treads the winepress. If you know what a winepress was in the ancient world, they'd put the grapes in a large vat, a, an enormous barrel, and then they would tread the grapes. They would stomp them, and the juice would flow out. This verse says, Jesus himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, in the context of Revelation, birds are demons. He says, Come and gather together in the, for the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest, all the millions of people who are there, the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. There's an angel that invites demons to come and feed on the flesh of these millions of people that are about to die. And Jesus comes and he arrests the Antichrist, or who the Bible calls the beast, and his false prophet, they get thrown into hell, and everybody else that is mounted in this battle against Jesus is, is killed. By whom? By Jesus. Revelation 6, 15 and 17, And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, and the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves and the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, Follow on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? There it is again, the great day. This is the day of the Lord the Old Testament prophets are talking about. This is the day that Jesus returns. Hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. You would expect hide us from the wrath of the lion. He is the lion and the lamb. Earlier in Revelation, the angel tells John, he says, Come and I will show you the lion of Judah who has overcome. And he sees a lamb who was slain. 
And here we find a lamb who is fierce, fierce. The great day of his wrath has come. Revelation 14, so the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God and the winepress was trampled outside the city and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 184 miles. As Jesus stomps this army that has gathered against him, there's a river of blood five feet deep for 180 miles. Next one, Revelation 18. In one hour, she is made desolate. This battle is no contest. Not at all. There's millions, perhaps hundreds of millions in the devil's army. There are trillions in Jesus' army. The Bible says millions of millions. That's trillions. It's no contest. In one hour, she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Uh-oh. The command from God is for us to rejoice while this is happening. Revelation 16 And I heard the angel saying, you are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. They have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. The angels are shouting the praises of God while Jesus does this. Revelation 19, 1 to 6. After these things, I heard a loud voice and a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. And again they said, Alleluia, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise God, all you servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, the sound of many waters and the sound of mighty thundering saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Why are the angels and the saints in heaven praising Jesus and his Father for such a gory scene of devastation. A river of blood five feet deep for 185 miles. Jesus stomping people like grapes. And they're praising him, and God commands us to celebrate. Remember, 2 Peter says, look forward to this day. How could that possibly be? Well, my answer to you this morning is because this is love. This is perfect love. Well, how is that possible? Because whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, whether you want it to be true or not, there are two kings at war. And they always have been. And we are caught in the middle of it. And we have no say in what they do Or who wins? But we're very, very glad that Jesus said, I'm going to win. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the king of light, came unto this planet, the kingdom of darkness, 
on a reconnaissance mission. And he snuck in behind enemy lines and he said, hey, all of you subjects of Satan, all of you who live in the kingdom of darkness, all of you captive to the dark Lord, if you will surrender, I'll let you live when I come and destroy him. And lots of kings in history made an offer to the city they were about to destroy or sack or siege. They would always offer, anybody who wants to surrender, I'll, we'll let you live. But it meant slavery. For the rest of your life, you would be a slave. For the women, that was unspeakable stuff. For the men, it was torturous labor until you died an early death. This king says, not, I'm not here to make you my slaves. I'm here to make you citizens in my kingdom. Yeah. I'm here, not only will I let you survive, not only will I let you be a citizen of my kingdom, I will forgive you for fighting against me for my enemy, which you all did. You, every one of you have fought for the dark Lord, but I will forgive you if you will surrender now. But on the day I come to fight him, you better know which side you're on because it will be utter devastation. And that is love, because it is our freedom. Whether you like it or not, you have to make a choice of allegiance now. Because there is a war going on, and it's all pointing to this day. The battle now is for your heart. The battle then is for the kingdom. And on that day... You have to know which side you're on. You have to make that choice. This is love. This devastation, this battle, this gore, it is our rescue. It's our salvation. It's Jesus being nurturing and caring. It's rescuing his people and the earth from the dominion of who he called the king of this world. The prince of the power of the air. This is justice. This is strength. This is heroism. This is heavenly romance. This is Jesus rescuing his bride from the grip of hell. This is why we look forward to this day. It's not scary. It's worse than any movie Hollywood's ever produced, but it isn't scary if you know where you've sworn allegiance. Think of it this way. This is a poor example but it's one of the best I can come up with. Think of it this way, that when the Nazis had their concentration camps in Germany and Poland where they were, they were slaughtering the Jews and the allied soldiers came to camp after camp after camp toward the end of the war, we began liberating these camps. The Nazi SS guards either slaughtered all of their Jewish prisoners, just shot them with machine guns and piled them up, or... They loaded everybody on trains and ran further back behind their own lines. But they never surrendered. What were we supposed to do? The only just and merciful thing to do is kill them and set the prisoners free. Because they've been offered an offer of surrender and they refused. So think of the entire planet is... A Holocaust camp. And it is. The entire planet is 
now and even more so then going to be hell on earth. Literally. And when Jesus returns, he is not returning because he has pleasure in the death of the wicked. He's returning to set the captives free. And it's totally fair for him to do this because the people who are fighting against him, he died for them too. And he made the same offer of surrender to them and they refused. And they took up arms against him. And they're trying to kill him and they are killing all of his people. So the only loving and just thing to do is to destroy them out of love for us. In the Civil War, General Sherman um, was ordered by President Lincoln to go down through Georgia and make them surrender. And they just absolutely, completely refused to surrender. They would not stop fighting. And so Sherman, not because he was a bloodthirsty, terrible man, he just said, well, we declare total war on you, Georgia. And so not only were they fighting the white southern men, but as they marched across Georgia... They salted the fields and burned the bridges and melted and twisted the railroad tracks and poisoned all the ponds and rivers. They chopped down every fruit and nut tree. They burned every house and barn to try to get them to surrender. But President Lincoln's offer was, if you will surrender, we will pardon you. This is Jesus. If you will just surrender, I will pardon you, but if you are insisting on holding slaves, I am going to destroy you to set the slaves free. And I say that Sherman's march across Georgia was a day of the Lord for the South. It was God's judgment on that hellish system that was American slavery. And Revelation says, and they would not stop blaspheming. So Jesus is coming to destroy everything and everyone who stands in the way of love and purity. On that day, enough. Sin is over. War is over. Adultery is over. Anger is over. Lust is over. Addiction is done. Rebellion is done. Death is done. This is the day. This is the end. He will deal with child molesters and lawless judges and ISIS terrorists and abusive husbands and insubordinate wives and disobedient children and drug dealers and pimps and slave traders and cougars and coyotes and cowards and rapists and liars and murderers and cop killers and corrupt cops and rioters and abortionists and dads who leave their kids and the women who make them want to leave and family splitters and church splitters and baby body part sellers and meth cooks and porn watchers and suicide bombers and school shooters and church shooters and cheating businessmen and scheming politicians and Hollywood A-listers, the obscenely rich and the thieving poor, hypocrite preachers and fake Christians. And he died for every single one of them. And anyone who will repent and surrender will be completely pardoned. Nothing bad will happen, but if you refuse to repent, if you refuse to surrender, there is nothing else to do but remove you. On this day, Jesus is not returning to be nice. Hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. He won't apologize to the people he casts into hell. He will not blink. And it could be you. He is not a respecter of persons. He does not love you so much that he would never send you to hell. Well, Mitch, what about salvation and the gospel and forgiveness? It's all over on that day. 
The theological term is dispensation. We are living in the last 2,000 years, the dispensation of grace. comes from the word to dispense. God is dispensing forgiveness right now. On that day, he will dispense judgment. And the second chances are over. The 3,000th chances that I've used up are over. I don't know, maybe you only used a second chance. I've used 3,000 of them. I told you a few weeks ago, the scripture, Jesus said, if you're not with me, you're against me. This is the ultimate fulfillment of that. You must be on Jesus' side. So the church does not very well yet understand that we are married to a man of war. Exodus 15, it's not on the screen, but Exodus 15.3 says, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. The Father is the Lord of hosts. Jesus is the commander of the hosts. He is a very aggressive man. Thank God he's aggressive in love. But he is zealous for his kingdom. So, what will the bride, what will she, the church, be doing on that day? Jude 14 15. Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds. We're going to be with him. Back in Revelation 17, remember he comes on a white horse. They will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. And those who are with him, those who are with him, are called and chosen and faithful. It's a lot of white horses. Horse people, you ought to be thrilled. You get to inherit a white horse. Psalm 149, let the high praises of God be in our mouth. And a two-edged sword in our hand to execute the judgment. Bought myself a sword recently. Let the high praises of God be in our mouth and a two-edged sword in our hand. To execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the people. Well, I wonder when that's going to happen. When are all the nations gathered together for the vengeance of God? To bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron to execute on them the written judgment. This honor have all his saints. Praise the Lord. I really hope I get to be on a horse next to Jesus. Lopping off heads. Executing the judgment. With the high praises of God in her mouth and a two-edged sword in her hand. There are examples historically of armies singing. But the best example I can give you of what that might look like, Psalm 149, we sing while we, while we fight with Jesus, is actually a fictional story. It's Tolkien in The Return of the King. And he said it's not allegorical. He said his book was thoroughly Catholic. He was inspired by Scripture, but there is a lot of allegory in it. This is not in the movie, by the way. Um, this passage is from the, the charge of Rohan in the last battle before uh, the city of Gondor. And Theoden, the king of Rohan, says the battle fury of his fathers ran like new fire in his veins, and he was borne up on snowmane. That's his white horse. His golden shield was uncovered, and lo, it shone like an image of the sun, and the grass flamed into green about the white feet of his steed. For morning came, morning and a wind from the sea, and the darkness was removed, and the hosts of Mordor wailed, and terror took them, and they fled, and the hooves of wrath rode over them. And then all the hosts of Rohan burst into song, and they sang as they slew. For the joy of battle was on them, and the sound of their singing that was fair and terrible came even to the city. 
You know, there are soldiers that were so courageous, so comfortable, so at peace in battle that they would sing. And Psalm 149 says that will be us on the day when Jesus comes to execute vengeance. We will be singing the praises of Jesus as we fight. This is going to be a glorious day. The glory of the horses and the banners and the trumpets and it's just amazing. I want to be there. Is there not something in you guys, at least some of you men, that you feel totally robbed living when we live? Like this is the wussiest time in world history to ever have lived. Like don't you want to know, do I have it in me? Could I have made one of those great cavalry charges? Do I have what it takes? Do I, am I man enough? And I get ripped off being, living now where everything is litigious and imaginary and effeminate. You can't, you can't even have two guys deal with their own business with their own fists without threat of charges. It's wicked. Like, I want Jesus to know I'm a man, but I don't want to know if I'm a man. Like, why didn't I live when we had swords <laughs> and horses that wore armor? But I'm not going to miss out. I'm not going to miss out. Like, whoa, Jesus. I get to live Braveheart. Freedom! Uh, I'm not crazy. I'm really not crazy. I, I have to tone it down or I'm going to scare you. Jeremiah 48.10, Jeremiah is prophesying, God says, I have prophesied judgment over the nation of Moab. God says, a curse on him who is lax in doing the Lord's work, a curse on him who keeps his sword from bloodshed. We don't get to say, well, God, I don't really want to participate in that. This is how far God takes it. Psalm 58, the righteous will be glad when they are avenged, when they bathe their feet in the blood of the wicked. Then men will say, surely the righteous will be rewarded. Surely there is a God who judges in the earth. Jesus said, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. I understand that this type of sermon is super rare. Maybe like you've never heard it before. And it, Jesus, this, this Jesus isn't presented very often, but I'm testifying of Jesus. Everything I'm saying is scripture. This is holy vengeance. This is holy war. This is holy justice. This is holy judgment. It is the establishing of the kingdom of heaven on the physical earth. It is the beginning of eternity. But let me say this very plainly and very clearly for all of you who are really disgusted at me right now. Um, and those of you who are hoping that I will say this, today is not the day. Hello? Hello? Today is not the day of the Lord. Today, there is still time to switch sides, to repent of your rebellion and swear allegiance to Jesus. If you have not yet done that, I recommend that you do. Because this day is coming. And this is the Lamb of God. It's real. 
Jesus is not bipolar. This is who he is. The Lord is not dispensing wrath today. He's dispensing forgiveness. The day of judgment is not yet here, so you still have a chance. An offer of mercy to all of you who will surrender to his side before that great and terrible day. There is a day of vengeance coming, but apparently it is not yet this morning. So you have another chance. You have an offer to swear your allegiance to a new king. We all either have been or are living for the Lord of this world, but he is a defeated king. Thank God the right king is going to win. Thank God that king is merciful. He is just and he is, he is wrath for sin, but mercy for sinners. Amen? So I invite you to swear allegiance to him this morning. Switch sides. You won't regret it. You will not regret it. For those of you who are on Jesus' side, if you are in his army, I just want to remind you that I have not forgotten, and I want to remind you that if you are truly on the Lord's side, you will be doing what he is doing, and today he is forgiving. Today he is not slaughtering. Today we do not fight flesh and blood. I said today we do not fight flesh and blood. Today, we're forgiving, not fighting. Today, we are preaching the gospel, not wielding a sword. So let me just lay that down and get less excited. Because my knowledge of what is coming, and even my desire to see it come, because the Spirit and the Bride say, come, Lord Jesus. We're commanded to look forward to And hurry up that day. But I also know that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And the reason he has delayed for 2,000 years is to give you another chance to switch sides. To give you another chance to repent of your sin and swear allegiance to him so that when he comes you will find salvation in Mount Zion instead of his sword. You will be behind his shield. Amen. Instead of at the tip of his sword, you will be behind his shield. Today there is still an offer. There's still forgiveness. There's mercy. So church, we preach the gospel, not the sword. We preach forgiveness, not fighting. Hello? We're not waging war on flesh and blood. We will, but not today. For those of you who haven't switched sides yet, this day is coming. It is deadly serious. It is 110% true. It's not fantasy. It's not myth. It is an ancient world fable. This will happen, and very soon. And whether this happens in your lifetime or not, you only have your lifetime, and you don't know if that could be this afternoon. Make your choice today. Swear allegiance to Jesus and be saved. Amen? Amen. Lord Jesus. We declare that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the one who rides the white horse and establishes the kingdom of heaven. Thank you that you will be victorious over the kingdom of darkness, that you are coming to set the captive and the prisoner free, to release the slave, that you are coming to deal with those who refuse to repent, the unjust who rule the world and make it a hell on earth. 
Thank you. Thank you that you are just, that you are righteous, that you are perfect, that there is no corruption in your kingdom. There is no bribery. All the things that we deal with in our own government that is so wicked. Your kingdom is perfect. And your spirit and your bride say, come. We want to see you come and establish your kingdom on the earth. But Lord, we thank you also that you are a savior of mercy and forgiveness. That you are patient another day and another day and another day because you do not take pleasure in the death of the wicked and you don't want anyone to be destroyed. You want all to come to the knowledge of salvation. So you're giving us another day to love our neighbor, to save them. Another day for the missionaries and the preachers and the neighbors and the co-workers to share the gospel. Lord, we understand that our neighbors are not our enemies and they're not yours. You have an open offer of allegiance and salvation. So to declare allegiance to Jesus Christ right now. We say, yes, Jesus. We don't want to be offended when it's all coming down. We want to be for you and not against you. We want to be with you where you are. So we pledge our allegiance to you. Come and make the wrong things right. Turn the world upside down. Bring your Father's righteousness. Lord, there is no peace, there is no salvation until you come. So we bless your holy name. We speak salvation and freedom in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.